Well, this was always our dream, Damon. Growing up on Ninth Street, how many times in the bedroom, your joining bedroom to mine, did we imagine having our own show, the Brock and Damon show, right? Talking football, talking sports. Your room littered with posters of, you know, Elway, Montana, my bedroom, a bunk bed with Uncle Luke, you know, snoring. But <laughs> you and I envisioned this day would one day happen, and here it is, the Brock and Damon playoff preview for the University of Washington. We've reached oh, it, bro. We have, the pinnacle. Yeah, I remember those tape recorders, all those practice sessions we had there in the bedroom and just talking about the Seahawks and Kurt Warner and Dave Craig and Chuck Knox. And yeah. I mean, we, we would have been the show back then. I think if I remember right, didn't you have to hit like the two buttons at once on the tape? For the, sure. Like, yeah, you couldn't you couldn't do one at a time. You had to press both down, hit record, and then we had a little microphone, and we would go back and forth. So, here we go. Technology a little bit better in this day and age. Hope you all enjoy this on YouTube. It's been fun uh, when you filled in for Salk. We've had an absolute blast. You see, these Huskies have made it a blast this season to talk some ball. And what I'd like to do is hit on just three or four topics. We'll do this this week following week we'll do it leading into the playoff game what I hope will be a national title game I think they've got a great shot against Texas will be a terrific matchup um, but let's just start on this one first and foremost probably the most um, present as far as time goes um, and that would be Michael Penix and the fact that he finished the highest Heisman ranking in the history of the program a really tight race with Jaden Daniels uh, on Saturday when that Heisman vote went down were you surprised? Did you think Penix had a shot? Because unfortunately, I was not. I felt like this was the way it was going to go. And yet, a Husky finishes number two in the Heisman race. Your thoughts? Yeah, I. you know, obviously, geographically, where we are here in South Alaska, it does make it tough. And the time zone, you know, it just, there's so many late night games that not enough people get to see him. But honestly, I thought he was really gaining some momentum down the stretch you know, especially the way he played against Oregon, the way we beat Oregon. I know he only had a couple touchdowns in that game, but it really was a pretty convincing win and and against another Heisman candidate in uh, Bo Nick. So, you know, I thought there was some momentum, but you're right. This thing is so East Coast biased, if we're being honest. And uh, Jaden Daniels' stats, they were certainly historic. And, mm -hmm. you know, a quarterback from LSU just won this thing a few years ago. I think we've had one Pac-12 we had six total Pac-12 Heisman Trophy winners in its history, I believe, and five of them were from SC. So if you're not at SC, Marcus Mariota obviously did it, I think, in 14 at Oregon. But it just rarely, rarely happens out here on the West Coast. Everything has to come together. I don't think it could have come together any better than it did for Michael Penix, but it just wasn't enough with that East Coast bias. Yeah, I think the challenge for Penix was like one and a half games. Yeah, you know, and, and that was the bummer for me. Like Jaden lost three. This guy chased perfection. This guy did what had never been done in the conference and go unblemished. And this guy being Michael Penix, but that ASU game and then like a half versus Wazoo, right? I mean, just about one and a half games outside of that. He was phenomenal. So one and a half games versus three loss, one and a half games versus historic video game stats, one and a half games versus, I guess, still an SEC bias that does play out. Uh, I was disappointed. I voted Penix. Joel Klatt voted Penix. I know a lot of folks on the West Coast voted Penix because I think they understood the magnitude of what he accomplished. I think that ASU game, parts of that Washington State game, gave critics on the outside the opportunity to say, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. The stats aren't there. He didn't do it. A better team. LSU's defense is horrific, one of the worst to ever play, and we'll lean to the SEC guy. Yeah, I mean, you just summed it up right there. I mean, unfortunate to those couple of games, you know, maybe the Stanford game too, where the team didn't dominate. 
you know, against a poor opponent. But yeah, just I guess they didn't win convincingly enough down the stretch against some mm-hmm. weaker opponents played into it. But you know, the leading passing offense in the country, uh, undefeated. I mean, it. I'm sorry if he was at another university. Uh, not in South Alaska, he wins the Heisman Trophy. Okay, but big picture, do you think this helps South Alaska? Right In, in the big oh, picture, yeah. do you think the fact that you did end up second, that it was such a close race, that you put yourself there, that I guess now as you move into the Big Ten and you'll be there playing the Michigans? and the, I mean, do you think in the big picture this ultimately helps the university the next time a Michael Penix comes around? A, a thousand percent. And I think you hit the nail on the head there with the Big Ten transition, right? There's going to be way more games in prime time. There's going to be bigger stages against, as you mentioned, the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Penn States, and all these teams. So, for sure, Husky quarterbacks, you 15 and 16 and 17-year-olds out there listening, yes, you could be the first Heisman Trophy winner at the University of Washington because of the precedent set by Michael Penix and crew here in 2023. Was it really your idea or Mike Heward's idea for him to stitch every player and coach in his jacket? Is that what I heard after? I mean, it wasn't Republic, but was that kind of your thought you gave to the AD? He shared with Kayla and Kayla shares with Penn. Is that kind of how it went down? Well, you know, dad had a bunch of tailors over the years. I mean, a lot of them weren't very good. So he'd fire one and move to the next and certainly ended up at Mario's uh, downtown great men's dress store. And, and uh, yeah, they, they worked closely together and and fed us that news. And I kind of told him, God, that'd be a great idea. No one's ever done it. Put all those names in there, but yeah, credit Mike. Yeah. So, so very cool. The Penix, you didn't win it, but boy, that owned the moment for sure. And I think maybe one of the lasting memories, frankly, will be that jacket. And probably not the last guy to do it. I'm going to guess the the kids, the young men that make it to New York in the years to come, somebody will follow that trend. Uh, num- topic number two, I'm, I'm really curious on this one. In 2016, you were there. Coach Peterson, Washington wins the Pac-12 title, going to face Alabama, got to travel to Atlanta, got to play in the Peach Bowl, got to play Nick Saban. You were around for all of it. You were doing the radio at that point as well. You're here still at the University of Washington. You're working alongside the new athletic director. You've been for every step of this way. Maybe not as public and not on the air like you were in 2016, but just very curious to compare and contrast the vibe and the feeling in the building, on campus, uh, around the team, 2016 getting there versus 2023. Any, Any difference between the two scenarios? Yeah, I think there just is a little bit more confidence this time around, right? I mean, Alabama, you know, at that time and still to this day is kind of like the standard for college football. And they still kind of played a, well, they still do, I guess, a big boy brand of football. Now they spread mm-hmm. the ball out around, around a little bit more in this day and age. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, looking back seven years ago, going to Atlanta, the Peach Bowl, Alabama, that defense. Um, you know, Nick Saban in his backyard, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, let's just hang with these guys, find a way to win in the fourth quarter. You know, I think now there's no doubt about it with the confidence, the way this team wins these close games, obviously beating Texas last year in the Alamo bowl, uh, the way you just beat Oregon is nine and a half point underdogs. I think there is so much more confidence in momentum Yet again, going into the backyard of Texas in a lot of ways, you got to believe it's going to be a probably 70%, you know, Texas crowd right there in Louisiana. But but this does feel different. I think this team, you know, maybe not quite as talented on defense, mm-hmm. certainly uh, better on offense and, um, and more experienced. 
and just riding this momentum wave of, you know, 13-0 and 0 and going back to last year, whatever it is, 23, 24 straight now. So, uh, yeah, this feels a lot more different and a lot more confidence. Yeah, this team just has, and it reminds me, uh, and you were on some national, or you were on a national title team and obviously Super Bowl winning teams. Just, and, and it's hard sometimes to quantify and to qualify, but there's just that power of belief. And you see it in Kalen DeBoer, you see it in his demeanor, you see it in Michael Penix and his calm, cool, collected, never rattled. You see it in Rome and the other stars. And not that that, not that that 16 team wasn't, but you know, they were humanized a little. They beat USC beat them right in Husky stadium that year. And you kind of like a uh, back 12 title game wasn't, wasn't real pretty, you know, against a, was it, what was that Colorado that year? I think it was Colorado that year. Right. Or Utah. It, it just, they, they weren't nearly as dominant. Um, this team just feels like it doesn't matter if it is a shootout. We can do that. If it's a bludgeoning physical, we can do that. If it is having to go toe to toe with Oregon, we can do that. There just seems to be even more. So just kind of more arrows in the quiver, like, Hey man, whatever it takes, whatever game it's going to be versus Texas. If we got to win in the high thirties, if we got to win, like we did last year in the twenties, right. It, whatever it is going to take, this team just feels a little more equipped maybe than that 2016 team. Is that fair? Yeah, that's definitely fair. And I think it just is the, the experience, right? When you talk about nine, six-year seniors, okay? We, that, we didn't know anything about COVID years and, and you know, guys getting the transfer portal and being able to bring in pieces. Like, this is just a different era in seven short mm-hmm. years of college football. And I think, like, Caitlin... Would they have nine nine six-year seniors i believe so it's somewhere around there i mean wow you know, we could we could do do the math and, and talk about the jack westovers and devin culps and ztfs and i mean eddie ulafoscios you know a lot of these guys have, have been there a, a long time and played a lot of football and michael Penix, don't forget him you know six year in this offense and and so uh yeah you have that depth that experience um, and, and they've done, like I was going to say, they've done a great job filling in pieces with the transfer portal, right? Raylan goes like the depth at linebacker, right? We didn't have that a year ago now. So just, just bringing in guys, Muhammad at the corner, right? Like these little pieces here and there that have just kind of taken this team to the next level. And you just credit the whole organization of Kalen DeBoer, his staff, um, everybody there just putting this team together, like it, building a roster in the NFL, They've done it in a short time, and they've given themselves an opportunity to win a national championship. We're going to get to Sark and Grubb and the offenses, and I think two of the better play designers, schemers, callers in all of college football here uh, in just a second. But one more on this team, and and Kalen DeBoer in particular. You've been around a lot of coaches. been around a bunch of Hall of Fame coaches. You know, you and I and Chris Peterson had a fun conversation on the golf course about the different influences that we've had in our lives and the different coaches we've been around. And you're like, yeah, I've been around some pretty good ones. You know, Jimmy Johnson, Hall of Famer. Belichick Hall of Famer, you know, some, some pretty, Don James, pretty, pretty good ones over my tenure. Where does Kalen kind of fit amidst those different guys that you have been around, uh, that you worked for, that, that you observed, just as you've gotten to see now Kalen for two years and the numbers, Damon, are just startling, right? Like 103 and 11, you know, eight and one versus the top team. I mean, just over again and again and again, just the level of statistical accomplishment off the charts. But as you observe him and you're around him on a daily, weekly basis, and you've been around some of the best to ever do it, compare and contrast. Yeah, you know, I mean, this guy, he just has a, a different demeanor about him. 
um, a confidence, I think, that you um, you hit the nail on the head talking about that. And I think it just it, it, it falls down from, from there to the rest of his team and his staff, right? Like, nothing's too big. The moment's never too – like, he talks about the team being built for this. I, I mean, he just sets the standard, and the rest of it just flows. Um, I, I, I've never been around a guy that, like I, – I don't know if he sleeps. I mean, he gets back to everybody. Um, he handles everything. Um, I think he, he might delegate better than a lot of coaches I've been around. I think he has so much trust in the staff and the people around him and he lets them do their job and, 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 and he just, he oversees it all. I mean, he is a the quintessential CEO. And uh, in this day and age of college football with all of these moving parts, I, I don't know. It, it, it is one of the toughest jobs in America now to be a head football coach and I think it's his demeanor, his attitude, um, his personality. It it he is the the perfect model of a, a college football coach in 2023, and it just you know reflects on the way his team plays, his staff approaches everything, and it's why they're undefeated. And it starts and ends uh, at the top with him. Special special man. I like the way you said that overseer. And when I think about coming out and watching Husky practices when you were there and when dad was coaching and we'd come up and watch the Huskies and watch Billy and Tom Gallagher and, and Joe Krolick and the other Vikings that became Huskies. And we would see Don James up there as the overseer, right? Mm-hmm. During practice, he was up above everybody and was in kind tower. of the, over, huh? he was in his tower, right? Yeah. He was in the, he was the dog father was in his tower overseeing it all in some ways, isn't there some similarity there where Don had his pulse and the finger on all of his assistants, on all the scheme, on coaching the coaches first, then to coach the players? Is that maybe where the comparison between those two would be most similar? For sure. And um, just that leadership. And I think obviously that it's it's so much different. Um, you know, as far as Don James wasn't like necessarily like the biggest players coach, right? You were kind of, you were very nervous, you know, when you're going to cross cross paths with him in the hallway, right? Like, oh, oh, here comes Coach James. What what do I say? You know, I think, but I think there's kind of that same mutual respect. Oh, here here comes Coach DeBoer, right? I mean, it it is fascinating in such a short time how how the legend has been born here. I mean, let's let's be real. I mean, these numbers, these wins, this this season, last year, I mean, I Don James – Coach Pete, Jim Owens, I mean, they've been some of the very best through these doors to ever do it. And this guy in such a short time is already surpassing those guys mm-hmm. and, um, and is, you know, is a Husky legend in two short years. Yeah. yeah. Pretty remarkable. Uh, let's talk about Sark and let's talk about Grubb. Let's talk about these two offenses. We'll get a little bit more into it in the weeks ahead as we get close to kickoff, as we preview this game as well. But Damon, I think both of these, both um, Grub system along DeBoer, I kind of call it the DeBoer Grub system. I mean, they've been in it forever together, and and Sark system, and and you were there there and and watching it, observed it. I think they both do such a tremendous job pre-snap. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Huskies, I think, are top five in the country pre-snap movement. They love to get in the bunch. They love to shift. They love to motion. They love to get in one formation, have you show your cards, shift to a different formation, get into you know the different coverage, all the things that they do to to get to get into the tendencies and to take advantage formationally. Sark does as well. I mean, they're way up there at Texas as well as far as pre-snap movement and alignments and and making it difficult on a defense. When you just look at these two systems and you look at Sark and you look at DeBoer and Grubb, where do you see, do you see any advantage? You see, you know, any, 
any matchup that you like there, or do you just see two tremendous coordinators that can burden these defenses? Um, well, if the Husky defense can can stop the run and play the way they did against Oregon, I I think advantage Huskies there as far as the the offensive um, play callers go. Um, I think Stark will probably lean more on the run game. Uh, mm-hmm. Where Ryan, with all of these weapons in the past game, and Texas's defense ranked 96 in pass defense in the country. I, I, you know, it's it's advantage Huskies. I mean, you can sit and, and look on the paper. You know, now now at the end of the day, it always comes down to the line of scrimmage, right? And Texas's front seven, you've seen them a couple times. They are really mm-hmm. good. But are, yep. is is this Husky offensive line not one of the ten best in America? And and if no. you is there anything that's told you in the last two years when we played some teams with some good fronts like Oregon, you know, a, a few weeks ago that that we we can't handle and is Michael Penix not going to spit it out when you bring the blitz is is Dylan Johnson not going to step up and and hit that blitzing linebacker in the middle uh in the mouth I mean so you know it's it's such a cat and mouse game and I think you're right you know all that pre-snap stuff gives you an idea what the defense is doing and you know both those guys Ryan and Sark organize that that chaos that the offense presents, you know, they go, can they not get lined up? What what are they doing? No, well, they're doing that on purpose. They want to see if the, the defense is in man or zone and how many guys are going to be in the box. And yeah. they are. They're both really good at it. They've been doing it for years. Not easy to do. But uh, both these offenses, yes, they're going to get their points. I think what's the over under 65 or whatever. But um, I think it's advantage Huskies with with that that secondary, that questionable secondary for the Longhorns. And um mm-hmm. You know, if Jalen McMillan is healthy like he was against the Ducks, you know, good luck holding the Huskies under 30 points. Do you think Sark could do this? You and I were around him a lot. And uh, before the Iowa State game, it was pretty neat on the field. End of the year, and he was trying to get to a place that he had never been. Damon, this is his first year in all of his years as a head coach with double-digit wins. And not only does he get double-digit wins and they keep crossing and climbing the mountain, ultimately win the first Big 12 title, for Texas since 2009, ultimately get to a playoff, ultimately everything they wanted when they hired him three years ago from Bama to get them SEC ready. He's built a team and equipped them and, and has them in this playoff. You think that was possible back in the days when maybe there was a little bit more of a an immature Sark that, that needed to grow and needed to develop? Did you always think that this was possible in his coaching DNA? Oh, that's hard to say, Brock. I mean, when we hired him, he was like 36 years old here. Uh, you know, first time head coach, first time ever in that chair um, and certainly did so many great things. I mean, it's hard to believe, but don't forget that 15 years ago, we were 0-12 and the worst team in America when he showed up. Uh, He got recruiting rolling. I think that 16 uh, Husky football team was loaded with a bunch of kids that he and Johnny Nansen and crew had recruited. So he did a lot of amazing things here as a head football coach. Obviously ran into some issues uh, at his next stop at SC, but, you know, kudos to him. And, and I think America, we we love people getting second chances. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fired up for Sark and, and all that he's accomplished now as a head coach and certainly this year. But, uh, you know, come January 1, I'm, I'm sorry, bud. Uh, I think we're showing up with the better head coach. Uh, last thing here, last topic is we hopefully do this uh, a bunch. And you're just killing it too, by the way. Like, just like he did, you know, as the older brother there on Ninth Street, as I said, hitting the record button. Do you remember that thing? We thought we were the next Ron oh, yeah. Crow and Carl Lambert. You know, we really did. Oh, and now sure. all these years later, we get our, our chance to finally do it. Am 1450 Cajun. Uh, oh. Alamo Bowl a season ago. Mm-hmm. Does it play any role into preparation, 
into the execution? Does that favor one side or the other that, hey, these two basically tangled? I know there was no Bijan and Roshan. They've graduated anyway. But there was Quinn, and he threw for 380 yards, and there's Worthy, and there's their O-line, and their D-line. And the fact that the guys got to tangle against one another 12 months ago play a role in anything we see January 1? I think it gives the Huskies a whole heck of a lot of confidence that they can do this again in their backyard, for sure. And even the Alamo Bowl was even more so their backyard. Mm-hmm. But as you know, New Orleans is not that far from Austin, Houston, and the rest of the Longhorn Nation. And Matthew McConaughey will find his way there pretty easy, I'm sure. So um, I, I think that is a huge advantage for us, for sure. Um, so, you know, playing, yeah, I think there's all that tape, right? I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. of the same faces at Pete Kwiatkowski. And, you know, he does what he does. He's not the most exotic of defensive coordinators. Mm-hmm. You know, his guys are certainly you know, where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. They make you earn it. You know, they'll, they'll play with a deep safety back there and probably won't give us as many home run shots. I don't remember as many home run balls no. last year in that game, but mm-hmm. that's okay. We, we've seen Michael Penix. He can throw every completions outside the numbers better than anybody in America. And you know, there's going to be a lot of one-on-one matchups outside there. And and now you got this run game that you didn't really not have when you showed up to San Antonio last, last uh, d- December. So, um, I think this is a more balanced Husky offense. I think this is a better Husky defense. And is Texas that much better this year? I know they got to 12 wins, but I was not impressed with the Big 12 top to bottom. I think they had a lot of close games against very average teams, TCU, Kansas State. Um, so, you know, they're, they're going to get some points, obviously, with their weapons and and, and their game plan. But um, I'm sorry, this is advantage Huskies, and I think that game last year certainly feeds that fire. You know, one thing that struck me to to speak to it and to close out this uh, first Brock and Damon playoff preview podcast uh, that we'll do a few of. One thing that uh, a number that jumped out to me as I was looking at the month of November, the month of November that everybody remembers, and then ultimately that leads to December and the win over Oregon. That month of November, the Huskies averaged over five yards a rush. Right, Dylan got his legs. Dylan got healthy. Started to balance out some of that offense after all of the firepower through the air in September and October. Over five yards a carry, which would have put them, that number is in the top 20 in the country, yards per carry. And then you throw in the country's leading passer, and Pete Kukraski and that Texas defense is going to have a whole bunch to chew on over the next couple weeks leading up to January 1. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's funny. You kind of go back to 2022, and it was like the longest summer of all time, right? I mean, into November. Uh, you know, I was hanging grapes, if you want to know. But but at Husky Stadium, I mean, there was not one bad weather game in 2022 for the dogs. There really wasn't. And as you know, playing in that stadium, you know, playing in Pullman or, or Corvallis, you know, in late November, like it, it gets pretty rough. And the dogs actually had to deal with some elements this year. And I think, you know, that their ability to run the football has certainly made them more of a, of a play, not only being a playoff bound contender, but a national championship contender now because of that balance uh, on that side of the football. So maybe mother nature kind of forced them into a little bit of it, but uh, boy, what a difference it's made down the stretch, a difference it made in the PAC 12 championship game. And I think, you know, really gives them a viable shot to win this whole thing. And that dome, uh, good weather conditions, January 1. I know oh, that. it's going to be beautiful. Both of them. Pre- appreciate you, brother. Yeah. Good times.